the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So when Jesus died on that cross, he became that perfect, sinless sacrifice to restore the brokenness that is in us so that he might then make it possible for us to live out that holy life as a reflection of him in this world, restoring fellowship for which he created us. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I think it's a lot easier for us to sing that He can move mountains than to live as if we believe it. For a lot of years, our family has sat around the television set and we've watched whatever the popular I Want to Be a Star show is, whether it's American Idol or America's Got Talent or The Voice. And I've seen musician after musician stand and hit notes wonderfully and to sing masterfully only to hear someone who really understood what was trying to be accomplished say, perhaps to the 14-year-old girl who had never had a love life, but you don't understand what you're singing. I would suggest to us that the question as we wrestle with the life of Job is do we really believe the things we sing and say in here? It seems as a church we don't sing at midnight anymore. We don't cry out to God to turn the water into wine. We don't expect Jesus to come off the cross so we're content with leaving him there and worshiping a dead deity. And so if we're not careful... We are musically accurate and theologically dead. Do you ever ask the question, why Job? It boggles my mind to think about what took place in Job chapter 1 and verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on all the earth, a blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. How could it be that a loving God would look at the crown of his creation, one who was supposedly living the right life, who was doing the right things, who was representing him well, and yet to the father of lies, to the enemy of the sacred, how could he turn him over and say, what about this guy? Give him your best shot. Why Job? And why the extent to which he suffered? Some of you've walked in the room and whether you're thinking about your financial portfolio, you're thinking about your marriage, you're thinking about your physical health, you're you're thinking about the circumstances of life and you're saying, why me? 
And frankly, the why me's have brought us to a point that we come in week after week after week into rooms like these, and we're not seeking a divine word from the Almighty. We're seeking simply some solace for the moment because we haven't understood the reality of the things that we're dealing with. In Job chapter 2, God said of this one who is living unlike any of us have ever lived, fearless of the things of the world and fearful of God, blameless before God. He said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. And we watched as Job lost his fortune. We watched as he lost his family. We watched as he lost his fame in the land. But we watched as he stood there on the ash heap, on the dung and the trash of the city, and he didn't lose his faith. We watched as his friends gathered around him. Book of Job's divided into three parts. It begins with the prologue we can easily understand. Life can be cruel. It enters into a dialogue between Job and three of his friends. We see about where we're to enter the passage today that a fourth friend shows up, a young guy, a young buck, and he throws in his two cents. And then the the book ends with an epilogue. A conversation between God and Job. God finally speaks up to the wounded servant. And what does he say? Look in Job 38, beginning in verse 1. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. Do you understand the word of God here? God was speaking. It's chapter 38. We begin in chapter 1. The devastation took place in chapter 1. In chapters 2 through 37, we see what many of us are living out. How do we make the most of this mess in which we live? And we theorize and we postulate and, and we take matters into our own hands. And we seek counsel from those who know no better than us. And then perhaps we hear God speak. And God says to Job, pull up your britches, big boy. Stand up and take this like a man. I I wonder if there's time for those of us in the body of Christ to stand up and hear the word of God like men and women. To stand up and recognize this is not a game. We can't sing about a God who moves mountains without facial expression, without understanding that he's moved mountains in our lives. And if he hasn't moved mountains in our life, then where is this God of whom we speak? He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you lack understanding. It says God spoke to him out of the whirlwind. It's a word which means to storm or to rage. It's a word that means the tempest. And some of you are in the whirlwind today. And very candidly, the whirlwind has consumed your life. The whirlwind has taken you off of focus and away from the very one who can help you in the storm. 
What is God saying to you in the whirlwind? What is God saying to you in the storm? Sometimes God is silent. One of the hardest things to face in the life of the disciple is to trust God in his silence. And for some of you in the midst of the tempest today, an almighty God is simply silent. And you're in good company for, because for some period of time, on the ash heap of life, the God who had allowed the pain that Job endured was simply silent. Sometimes God does not explain what happens or what is happening or when it will stop. Sometimes he's simply silent. But sometimes God speaks clearly. Now I'd remind you that we don't need look far to find God's clearly spoken word. And most of us cry out, if only God would say something to me, but yet we dust not our Bibles on our nightstand. God has given his word. And Peter tells us that in his word, he speaks to everything pertaining to life and godliness. Could it be that if we simply went, read his word and obeyed his commands, perhaps our finances might look a little differently? Could it be that if we simply read his word and obeyed his commands, perhaps our relationships might look a little differently? Could it be that if, if we simply read his word and obeyed his commands, perhaps these dry bones might come to life? So be careful when you assume God has been silent. He's not always silent when we say he is. Sometimes he speaks very clearly. When God speaks first to Job out of his tragedies, I want you to notice a few things. He does not give him answers. It is not God's responsibility to give you answers as to why. And I might point out that God does not apologize. And it's interesting to me that he still does not tell him about his conversation with Satan. For a godly, a holy man, wouldn't it have been great if he had simply said... Just hang in there, Job. This all started a while back when Satan was walking through the heavenlies and he came to me and I said to him, have you considered my servant Job? But he didn't say that. He didn't explain it. So what does God say? He simply reminds Job of who he is. And he reminds Job of who he is. God is saying he is the answer. And could it be in the midst of your trial that God is simply wanting you to understand he is the answer. Warren Wiersbe writes, the answer to Job's problem was not explanation about God, such as the three friends and Elihu had given, but a revelation of God. The four men had declared and defended the greatness of God, but had failed to persuade Job. When God displayed his majesty and greatness, it humbled Job, and it brought him to the place of silent submission before God. That was the turning point. Swiss psychologist Tom Paul Tournier wrote in his book, Guilt and Grace, God's answer is not an idea, a proposition, like the conclusion of a theorem. It is himself. He revealed himself to Job. Job found personal contact with God. 
Now understand what had taken place here. For most of these 38 chapters, Job had sat and he'd gone back and forth with his friends. They had given him their ideas of what was wrong. Most of it revolved around sin in Job's life. Now remember the character we're dealing with. Blameless, upright, feared God. Was right with mankind. And yet they, they tried to pick and point at the things in Job's life. Job would go back and forth with them. And then in in chapter 37, we see this young friend come up, a new guy, Elihu. And he begins, as the storm clouds brew, he begins to tell Job, hey, have you ever thought this may not be about you? This may be about God. It, It may be that God is simply drawing your focus, drawing your attention out of this world to something that is otherworldly. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And then the culmination of the storms took place and God speaks and he's not happy. He asked Job 77 questions. Do me a favor, raise your hand if you ever question God. Now don't lie, I do. You ever say, why God? Where are you God? What could be next God? That's what Job had been doing. But the table was turned. It was now Job on the witness stand. And God is the prosecuting attorney. And 77 questions he asked demonstrating his frustrations. Why does he do this? I believe it's because Job was faltering in the one area that had had caused him to stand out before God. He was slipping in that part of his life that had made him different, that set him apart. His holiness. Job had been known as a holy man, but he had become so overwhelmed with his problems that he had forsaken his pursuit of holiness. I I want you to understand a simple principle today. Holiness matters most. I'm glad you've chosen to be here. In, in fact, as a, as a church nerd, it depresses me when I see empty seats. I wish more people would have chosen to be here. I, I'll be grateful to the Lord as you practice generosity and worship through giving. It stirs my heart to walk in and hear you singing. Those are all things we do to demonstrate that we believe God is holy. But I want you to understand something. Holiness at the core is not about doing. It is about being. And, and Job had forgotten. He had pushed away from that reality of being holy. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What could this mean? When we stop pursuing holiness, the spiritual fiber of our life begins to erode. 
And so when we stop pursuing holiness, we are overcome with the things of this world because we don't see God for who he is. All we see is our life before our eyes. There were things eroding in Job's holiness. He began to let the circumstances of his life affect his view of God and what God had said. It's like a child when he doesn't get his way and he begins to whine to parents. We could think about this as we approach the holiday season and every list comes out and something is not given on the list. What's that response of an immature child? It's simply to say, you don't love me. And that's what Job had begun to do. Could it be that God really doesn't love me? Could it be that God doesn't care about me? He was speaking out of his circumstances. Too often we begin to speak out of the circumstances and live out of the circumstances of life instead of standing on the confidence that we have in God. What we know to be true. So you hear some of the moaning, some of the whining, some of the you don't love me's of Job. Like chapter 16, verse 9, when he says, God assails me and tears me in his anger. He gnashes his teeth at me. My opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. Or listen to Job 19 and and verse 6. Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call out for help, but there's no justice. He's walled up my way so that I cannot pass. He set darkness in my path. Do you ever get to that point? We get to the place where we cry out, I don't feel like I'm hearing any answers. But have you gone to that next level where you say, God's after me. He's put a wall there. He's the one. He stripped me from his glory, my glory, and taken my crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side. I'm gone. My hope has been pulled up like a tree. He's kindled his wrath against me, counts me as an adversary. We always err when we assume God's affections toward us are based on our actions toward him. That was a big statement, so I want to say it again. We always err when we assume God's affections toward us are based on our actions toward him. Friends, that's the difference between Christianity and every other false religion in the world. Every false religion says if you just do these things for God, then you will be okay and he will love you and he will reward you. But Christianity, the truth of the gospel says that God demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His affection is not based on our action. His love is not based on our doing. Job... He didn't understand that. In chapter 23, in verse 15, he says, I'm terrified at his presence. When I consider, I'm in dread of him. That's what faulty thinking does. It gets us to the place, instead of drawing near to the one we need, we pull away. Could it be that you've come to that place today? Don't get me wrong. I I recognize you're in a building called a house of worship. But could it be that you've hardened your heart to the one you worship? 
Yes, sometimes our heart is hardened by sin, but sometimes our heart is hardened just because God hasn't done things the way we want. We don't feel him the way we wish we did. And so instead of continuing to cry out and to draw close to him, we push away as if we're terrified of his presence. Unless you think I'm being too hard on on Job, do understand that he's like a yo-yo at this point. One minute he's up and one minute he's down. He's a split personality. In Job 19, 25, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. And on that day, at last, he will stand upon the earth. Why is this so vitally important? Because the God who speaks out of the whirlwind, out of the storm, has something to say to you. Every one of us are either in the storm, we've just come out of the storm, or we're headed toward the storm. What is he saying, our God? Storms are a reality. They must not affect our our view of God and, and his truth. Listen to this from Oswald Chambers. He says, the destiny of man is not happiness nor health, but holiness. God's one aim is the production of saints. He's not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to serve men out of pity. He came to serve men because he had created them to be holy. Understand what took place at the beginning of the book, at the beginning of time that changed everything and caused the need for the good news, the gospel. God created us to be a reflection of him so that he might fellowship with us. Sin broke down that reflection. Though we're created in the image of God, sin causes us to look like broken glass before God. That brokenness needed to be healed. The only thing that could heal that brokenness is the death of an innocent life. None of us, no one that has ever lived has been innocent except Jesus. So when Jesus died on that cross, he became that perfect, sinless sacrifice to restore the brokenness that is in us so that he might then make it possible for us to live out that holy life as a reflection of him in this world, restoring fellowship for which he created us. But the circumstances of our life affect our view of of God. Is that the case for you today? Are you relying more on your feelings than a true sense of faith in him? Secondly, I see that Job relied on his past spiritual experiences rather than pursuing holiness. In chapter 29 and verse 1, it says, Job looked up again at his discourse and he said, Oh, that I were in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when the lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was come upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, oh, were it still the good old days. If only it could be like it used to be. I remember when. 
but it never will. We can't go back. And, and so if our reliance in this journey of faith is, is on some accomplishments of bygones in the past, we're in trouble. We're, we're sick if we don't have things in the past that we look for and long for. But if we really think that that is going to be the focus of our life and bring us comfort in the present, then we're sicker than we thought. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.